0: Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dream. Um
1: This morning, I, I, have, I had asked Brayden, Brother Braden, if he would be willing to come and pray for us this morning, uh, and just offer a blessing over the service. And so Braden, why don't you come and, and, um, and, and offer a prayer uh, for this congregation, and um, as we Welcome, Brother Richard, back here in just a second to worship.
2: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just this day to come together as your body, uh, just to worship you and uh, be together as a body of believers, Lord. Um, We praise you for just this new year that we're in. I pray that you would allow us to... um, pursue you this year and to love you with our whole hearts and to love others lord we ask that you would fill us with your spirit this year um, lead us to repentance and lead us to um, just be a representative of you in our areas of our life lord Uh, We just pray as today as we worship you that you'd be glorified um, here that ben would um, just bring your word to us in a way that pierces our hearts and draws us nearer to you we ask all this in jesus name amen
3: Good morning. morning. That that worked out well. So (laughs) I am privileged today to to talk to you just for a few minutes about the uh, ministry at the Agape House. Uh, It's located over in Martin. Um, The the first thing that I want to to talk about is, uh, well, as as Brother Ben mentioned, uh, this is our kickoff of our baby bottle campaign. And so that's kind of the reason that obviously that I'm talking today, but I want to talk to you first about the, uh, the commitment that Agape House has to upholding the, the sanctity of human life. So this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and um, so I just want to give you a little bit of information about, about the Agape House ministry. So uh, many of you probably already know this, but Agape House has been part of Northwest Tennessee for almost, well, 30 years this year. I said I almost said almost 30 years, but it's 30 years this year. Um, and Agape House relies completely on donations. Uh, there, there is no other source of income. There's no other source of revenue. All patients that are seen there are seen for free. Um, all the ministry activities, including uh, uh, educational programs where we go out to local middle schools and high schools, all of that is uh, no, no charge, no expenses to anybody that receives any uh, benefits from the ministry. So it's, it's all funded by donations. Uh, We do have some paid staff uh, there, uh, you know, so we pay for our programs and we pay for the the staff there. Um, Primarily the paid staff is, uh, you know, medical related like nurse practitioners, doctor, uh, sonographers, if that's how you pronounce that word correctly. Um, The people that, you know, rub the belly and do the uh, uh, ultrasound thing, is that what that's called? Uh, so those are some of the, the so all of this is funded uh, only in only through uh, uh, the giving of of people and organizations um, So I want to just update you a little bit about the status of the abortion issue in 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 Tennessee in general, but obviously for us specifically in here in northwest tennessee so Um, Everybody knows that the landscape has changed a little bit, uh, well dramatically actually since the overturn of the the Roe Wade decision back last year. Um, So the decision about abortion was sent back to the states. Tennessee is a state that has uh, no legal standing for for abortion. Uh, So there is a general consensus, a general feeling or thought that the issue is kind of over with here and I want to be sure that everybody knows that it's not over with here. Uh, we have two clinics that are located in Carbondale, Illinois, um, which is about a two-hour drive from here. Uh, Illinois allows children, so people under 18, uh, to have abortions without parental consent, without any counseling about the, the thing that they're going to have, uh, and no no wait time. So literally, a seventeen year old could get in get in her car and drive up there one day and drive back that afternoon and a parent might never know that it happened. It could happen that quick and and without knowledge so it's it's still a very real issue today um I want to show you uh I'm a visual person, so I wanted to show you a uh, a little map with uh, uh i don't know how well that shows up, but you know I like google maps right so um, you can see that it is literally a two-hour and five-minute drive. There's actually two locations there in Carbondale that, that uh, do abortions. Um, now, I show you this because it's a two-hour drive. Well, before the, the uh, you know, the overturn of the Roe Wade decision, uh, people in, in northwest Tennessee would, would have to, the closest place they would go would be Memphis. That was the closest place, that the Planned Parenthood, that was located in Memphis. Um, which is, as we all know, about a two-hour drive. But in the state of Tennessee at the time, there was a mandatory—I think it was a three-day wait period after you make made an appointment. Uh, there was mandatory counseling for the for the person, you know, uh, that had to be received. Um, and so there was there was, you know, it slowed the process down a little bit. Uh, and uh, so now it's actually it's actually easier uh, for people in northwest tennessee to get an abortion than it was before the overturn of railway which is a shocking thing at least for me i mean i've known this for a while but I, it's hard for me to fathom that but it actually is because they can do it in the same amount of time but they don't have to uh they don't have to get counseling they don't have to to uh wait three days as they used to um so the time to do something about it about the issue is still now the time is now uh, the, the battle that we are dealing with is, is still raging on. This slide here uh, mentions that every day approximately 2,500 unborn children lose their lives to abortion. That's almost one million lives lost per year. Abortion is never the right option. We believe in life at the Agape House. We believe we are committed to life at, at every level and in every way. There is, there is no child that's unworthy in any way. Um, so you do have the opportunity to, to be uh, some unborn child's hero uh, through, through giving and through, you know, if anybody's interested in volunteering. I didn't mention this one, uh, talking about the staff, but we rely heavily on volunteers. Many, many things are done through volunteer uh, efforts. So uh, there's certainly an opportunity to be involved if, if you are interested in, in uh, doing that. I do want to uh, read uh, Psalm 139. Uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, this is not an unfamiliar, um, an unfamiliar psalm at all, but it is one that reminds us uh, about, uh, about the life issue and when we are made and when, when, when it's known that we are made. So uh, one, Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So he knew us before we were here, He's always known us from all eternity past. He's known every one of us and, and every one of these children, and uh, life is a gift from God. I think we all know that and uh, uh, so this this is an issue that that is still very relevant here in our in our local community, um, and it, it's uh, still a very big opportunity for you to uh to to help with the issue um, if you if you feel led to. Um, So the Baby Bottles uh, campaign starts today. And um, so we at Agape House have three big fundraisers, if you will, uh, in in the year. And so we rely a lot on those three fundraisers to get through the year financially. We also have individuals and church organizations that contribute financially on a monthly basis. And then thirdly, we have... Uh, occasionally, you know, just random people that just give big chunks of money or, or little chunks of money or whatever, you know. Uh, unplanned giving, you know. just. Uh, but really it's these three fundraisers and just regular monthly giving is what is what uh, funds the ministry financially. So uh, the baby bottle campaign, uh, people ask sometimes, well, uh, you know, uh, what do I put in that baby bottle? And you can see there's coins there. Uh, now, don't put your old washers and no Canadian coins or anything like that. You know, let's stick with American money if we can. Uh, but you can also stick cash in there. You can stick checks in there. If you don't, a lot of people don't deal with, with coins and cash much anymore. Um, so you can, you know, if you want to just stick a check in there, you can obviously do that. Uh, somebody asked me one time, well, you know, what if, what if I can't fill uh, the thing to the rim? There's, not, there's no small gift. I mean, seriously. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever you feel, whatever you're capable of doing, whatever you felt led to do, uh, would be very much appreciated, and would be well stewarded. I didn't stewarded. I didn't mention that uh, before, but uh, we do uh, take a uh, very serious opinion of what we do with donated finances at Agape House. So thank you all for listening to me, and uh, thank you all. The baby bottles are out front uh, on the table, right? And um, so please grab one if you're able to and you want to. And if anybody wants more information on the Agape House anytime, just, just let me know. I'll be glad to give information or point you in the right direction for more volunteer opportunities. Okay, thank you.
1: And So as we walk through our stewardship series, and uh, like the song says, we walk with the Lord. And as Mark mentioned, the stewardship of the Agape House ministry, um, church ministry, um, and and even your own ministry. The the Lord has given to us so many great things with which to serve him. And so Paul, when writing to the Colossians, he reminds them of this great truth um, when when speaking to servants. uh, The servants of God. Um, specifically in the servants of others. Um, This is a great verse. It's a life verse, really. uh, A reminder for all of us of what we're supposed to do with our stewardship to the things that God gives to us. Paul says this in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. He says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Amen? That's a great truth, by the way. Take it away, walk away with it, and honor God with it, knowing... That from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Amen. I think in a world of contrasting understanding and vision and and maybe perspective, it's good for us to be reminded whom we serve. Amen. May the word of God be read this morning in the house of God. Brother Richard.
2: Knowing who we serve. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you, Lord. The greatest thing in all my life is loving you, Lord. And the greatest thing in all my life is serving you, Lord. This is our offertory hymn. Let's stand together as we sing.
3: The greatest
2: thing. my
1: So go ahead and return with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, as I, get, um, as I get in my tablet here. Yeah, Siri's wanting to play games with me this morning. There she is. There we go. See, this was supposed to get really weird here in a minute, if, uh, if I couldn't unlock my tablet. But we got in. Mission accomplished. Step one out of the way. Matthew, chapter 25, this morning, verses 24 through 27. As I mentioned last week, I'm excited about this, this text today, I excited, was excited about last week's as well, because we've reached kind of the teaching moment of this parable. Um, when, when the Lord responds in this parable, this is the lesson, this is the teachable moment anyway, and, and this is what the Lord would have us to glean from this, uh, from this parable. Now as we've kind of walked through the kingdom stewardship series, we find ourselves on S- sermon 4. Now, we've got one more sermon uh, in, this, in this series, and then we're going to move on to a different sermon series altogether. We're actually going to go to Joshua, or rather Joseph, in the Old Testament uh, here in a few weeks. But, but for now, we're going to look at kingdom or stewardship accountability, and then next week, king, uh, stewardship consequences. So today, fourth sermon of our Kingdom Stewardship series, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, several things that we're gonna have to recap in order to understand the context of what's being mentioned here. Now, Kingdom stewardship is the theme. That's the thesis for this uh, this series. It preface, it's predicated with the understanding with the, the fact that that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven anyway, belongs to the Lord. It's his. It's his kingdom. And he lords over it as a good master does. Now, the kingdom itself is made up of people. It's made up of churches. It's made up of ministries. And anything else that establishes God's kingdom on the earth. While at the same time, advancing his gospel around it. Alright? That's the kingdom of heaven. It came down when Christ was incarnated as a child. His ministry began. And it has continued on since. Now, we are servants in this kingdom, right? As we mentioned last week, we're not supervisors. We're not here to oversee necessarily the Lord's kingdom. We're here to serve in the Lord's kingdom because that's the, only, uh, that's the only position that is available in the kingdom of heaven, servants. And if you go through the Bible, if you go through the New Testament, that's what you're going to find. You're going to find the invitation to be servants, now, in the graciousness of God, the Lord gives to His servants according to His own prerogative. Now, He sees fit to bless His keep people, to bless His churches, to bless His ministries, however He sees fit. It's according to His own prerogative. But He will hold them accountable for what they do with His trust, with His resources, and with His time. Those who stewarded well will be rewarded for their faithfulness. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, The faithful servant of God who doubled the Lord's money and, and heard, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been found faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. That's the reward for the faithful stewards. Today we're going to look at what happens to those who don't steward well. In short, those that don't steward well will be held accountable For their unfaithfulness. And that's where we find in our text today. Let's stand and read God's word beginning in verse 24. The Lord says this Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Let's stop here and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. Father, as it has now been read in the assembling of your people, Father, bless it, break it, multiply it for our our sanctification, for our spiritual growth. Father, may we be found faithful in this word this morning. May we be found doers of it, so that that the kingdom can grow here at First Baptist Church in Union City, Tennessee. Father, thank you for your trust. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Father, now bless the reading of your word among your people. We pray this in Christ's name and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, the sermon today is broken up into three parts. The first part is the servant's excuse, all right? And, and the servant gives several excuses in this context or in this, in this text this morning. The first one is that he blamed his unfaithfulness on the Lord's nature, all right? Now, that's a big mouthful of words. I want to unpack that. But 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 he blamed his unfaithfulness unfaithfulness. His unfaithfulness, uh, or at least his obedience, he was given a a, a talent and he was told to use that talent, to steward that talent well. And he disobeyed. And, And that is the essence of unfaithfulness. When God asks us to do something and we disobey, we're being unfaithful to the Lord's commands. But he blamed his unfaithfulness On his Lord's nature. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, true to those who fail to do what they're asked to do, they blame others for their failure. Amen? I mean, I think that goes without saying. I think that's pretty common in our world today. In this case, the servant blamed his Lord for him being a hard man. Now, Luke, in his gospel shares the same parable, but he uses the word austere. A-U-S-T-E-R-E. Austere. And in this context, this word is a little bit more precise rather than being harsh. The, the, The Greek word means the same thing. But austere means to be harsh. It means to be strict. It means to be rigid. Unmoving in one's thought processes, in one's expectations, and in one's behavior. So the Lord in this capacity, being an austere man, was was, rich, was rigid. He, was, he, he had expectations. He, was, he had high standards that he expected to be met. And if they weren't met, there were consequences. And so understand first that the Lord, over the kingdom, as he lords over the kingdom of heaven, is an austere man. We serve a God who is austere who is harsh, who is rigid, who has high standards and expectations for his servants. Not only does he set that bar high, he expects us to conduct ourselves in a way that honors those expectations. Amen? I mean, the Lord, I mean, and and I don't think this goes without saying, I think there's probably people, if we uh, look back in our own past, whether it be a parent or whether it be uh, an individual in the church or somebody, a friend or whatever, who had high expectations, and they, they would often challenge us to, to rise up to meet those expectations. And if we didn't meet those expectations, we knew there to be consequences for our, our inaction or disobedience or whatever the case may be. The Lord is the zenith of that understanding, the Lord has high standards. He has high expectations, and he expects his servants to conduct themselves in the second, or in the in the uh, in the uh, in that same sense. Now, uh, secondly, it's not wrong to be this way. All right, I, I think I think in a world where standards are so low and expectations are literally minimal, it's not unusual for people who are austere. It's not unusual for people who have high expectations and high standards to be accused of being unreasonable, right? It's easy to accuse or attack or at least criticize people whose expectations are up here when the rest of our society's expectations are down here. It's easy for them to criticize up rather than to pull themselves up to that standard. But understand, in the kingdom of heaven, God's not going to lower himself to our standards. He's not going to do that. He's going to challenge us. He's going to encourage us to to, to rise up to his. Because he sets the standards. He's not unreasonable in this capacity. But that's what this servant in our text did today. He obviously didn't have very high standards for himself. We made this comment last uh, maybe two sermons ago. When the servant... When the Lord left, rather, and the servant sat around on his hands and didn't do anything. What in the world was he doing? While everybody else invested and while everybody else worked and labored, what, what did he do? I mean, his standards are obviously for himself are really low because he thought he could just sit around and wait for the Lord to return and it would be okay. He didn't have his own high expectations for how he was going to invest his Lord's money. So, when his Lord's standards weren't met, rather than taking responsibility, rather than taking accountability, his move was to blame the Lord. See how that works? It's quite a convenient position, to be honest with you. right? It, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's, a, it's a position that says, I'm okay with where I am, and, and I don't necessarily want to. Or, or I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, burden myself with too much, and so I'm just going to, I'm just going to blame him for me and my failure, right? And our society, our society is rampant with this mindset. It's rampant with this, this, this concept of rather than, rather than uh, praising those who have high standards or, or, or rewarding those who have, who, who have high uh, expectations, we punish them. We, we, we pull them down so that we don't feel as bad about our lack of accomplishment or lack of expectation or standard. It's very common, it's very, very rampant in our society today. But it's not wrong for the Lord to be this way. Because thirdly, the Lord can certainly set whatever standards He wants. It is, after all, His kingdom. Amen? It's His kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And His designs, His standards anyway, are designed... To to establish holiness, to establish righteousness, right? He's trying to build a kingdom in our world that's different from its worldly counterpart, right? He He wants it to be easy to identify laziness and wickedness and sin because that's the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be separated from the world, and so if the church and Christians and ministries, and, it, and if, if, if all of it just sounds the same and looks the same and has the same standards and expectations, it's not different. It's the same. And the Lord says, no, I want you to be different. I want my church to be different. I want my kingdom to stand apart from this world. But notice how the servant really never takes responsibility for his inaction. He never really takes ownership of his responsibility. And people who don't take ownership for their actions are usually the, the very ones who are quick to blame others or at least cast the blame on others. And the Lord in this capacity wasn't having that. He wasn't going to allow this servant off the hook that easily because the Lord says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. I know that sounds like something Uncle Ben said to Spider-Man before he went into the library. (laughs) That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? But it's not true. That was the Lord in Luke chapter twelve, verses forty to verse forty-eight. To whom much is given, much is required. Okay, that is that is a that is a standard verse that sets a standard. That the Lord, when he gives, and he gives liberally, when he gives, he also expects something in return. Okay, And so this servant didn't recognize that immediately, cast the blame to his Lord. Now, the second thing that he does is he's motivated by fear. Verse 25, And I was afraid. Lord, I knew you to be a certain type of man, a certain type of Lord, and I was afraid. That scared me, okay? And I hear this a lot, too. This is a a very common thing in our society as well, because fear is a powerful motivator. It's actually one of the most powerful motivators. It's not the most powerful motivator. That's love, which is a whole different topic altogether. But fear will motivate people to do some pretty crazy things. Extreme fear, what the Bible would call terror, uh, will actually cause people to do things that are irrational. They will act in ways, they will think in ways that are illogical and irrational. But fear in itself, as an emotion, isn't necessarily wrong. Understand this biblical teaching. The, The Lord gave us fear as an emotion, so it can't be wrong. It's just that sometimes, oftentimes, we place that fear the object, anyway, of it is is, the, is, the wrong, is, is is put in the wrong place. The object of our fears is what makes the emotion wrong. For example, if the servant had been more fearful of his Lord rather than what could have happened to the Lord's money, his situation might have ended much better. But... Because his fear of losing the Lord's money motivated him more than actually pleasing the Lord, he behaved in ways. He behaved and acted in unfaithful ways that warranted the Lord's rebuke. The biblical teaching here is that fear, when placed in any other thing, other than he who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. If it's placed in any other place, it's misplaced. Okay, The, the, the idea, a biblical idea of fear, is that we should fear the Lord. That is healthy fear. That is rightfully placed fear. A fear of God. Because fearing other things more than we fear the Lord... Causes us to consider, for instance, what others think more than what God thinks. We become people pleasers rather than Lord pleasers. Does that make sense? And I think that's that's true. That's that's a very common thing in our society. I'm afraid of what that person is going to say or do or think about me, so I'm going to be motivated out of that fear to please that person. And all the while the Lord is sitting back saying, Well, what about me? It's my kingdom. It's my resources you're using. It's the time that I've given you to do this. Why don't you fear me? Sometimes it, it causes us to think that we know better than the Lord does. I think this is a very, very human response as well. Uh, Lord, I, 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 I know that X, Y, and Z could happen. I, I understand that, that if this isn't done right, this this could be the result. And so be, because of the hypothetical, because of the what if, we are hesitant to, to, to be faithful. And, and, we, and we balk at opportunities that please the Lord. Oftentimes, out of, for, because of fear, we're motivated to act out of our own self-interests rather than God's. Or self-preservation, if you will. Right? I think sometimes it's tempting to save our own necks, rather than being worried about what the Lord thinks of, of a certain situation. And, and I think, again, it's very human. It's very human to, to, to fall into these, into these traps, because they're so common. But if we're, if we're motivated out of our own self-interest, then, then the resources and the money and the time and all of the things that God has given to us to steward, we'll use them for ourselves rather than using them for the kingdom. Does that make sense? And that's, 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 that's the trap here. Because what we end up doing is building our own kingdoms rather than the Lord's. The third point that the Lord or that the servant makes, or at least his excuse, is that, that because of his sin of unfaithfulness, he res, it resulted in lost opportunities. I mean, he literally has the audacity in verse 25. He, he says, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And then he tells the master, he tells the Lord, Look. There you have what is yours. I mean, that's almost a very arrogant, almost, almost condescending attitude. If you want it, there it is. I took it and I buried it because I was afraid of what might happen to it. So there it is. It's yours. Take it, do whatever you want to with it. See, this is a lost opportunity. This, this is a missed opportunity. And in this case, he lost out. Specifically, on pleasing his Lord. So understand this morning that the greatest thing that he could have lost was the pleasure of his Lord. The pleasure of satisfying, of of making the Lord happy. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the time. And it really wasn't necessarily the trust that he lost out on. It was the pleasing of the Lord. It was the knowledge that the Lord was pleased with him. As we saw last week well done, is the reward. Amen? Especially for faithful servants. Men and women who have committed themselves to kingdom work and have selflessly laid themselves aside and they've picked up their cross and they've followed Christ and they've done all of that to the end of their life. Their reward is not more money or more time. Their reward is knowing that their Lord is pleased with them. You know, I had, I had teachers, and I had coaches, and I had parents, and I had all kinds of things growing up as a young man. People, people that I tried to please. You would do this, and you'd do that, and you, you, you would hear, you know, you'd get a good grade in this class, or you'd get an attaboy and, and on, the, on the basketball court, or you'd do whatever. You would hear those things because that's what you wanted to hear. And, and nothing meant as much as hearing that but in a much more divine way it, these, these these he didn't miss out on the stuff it's it's not the only thing or rather these things are not the only stuff that that the, that a servant could have missed out on because the only thing that a faithful servant desires to hear is well done it's 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 to me. I mean, look, and I, I guess maybe the more you grow up, the older you get, the more ministry you're exposed to, and the more you are opportunity given opportunities that are given to you to please God. You're not looking for more stuff. I, I don't want more stuff. I, I don't necessarily even care about bigger churches and bigger buildings and bigger budgets. I know that's part of it, but but I know that that the Lord is is is, is pleased with what we have here, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm pleased to know that the Lord is pleased with that. Right? Because that's the well done. So many many today are motivated for more stuff. They they want bigger this and they want faster that and they want more of this. They just just want a bigger piece of the kingdom. Somehow that equates success in the ministry today. But that's, that's not the goal. The goal is to hear well done. Knowing that the Lord pleased with our work even with our effort even even if this man would have went out and invested that money and failed at least the Lord would have been pleased with his effort at least but he didn't even do that Luke's account Luke chapter 19 verse 22 when the Lord hears these rebukes or these excuses he literally, the, the Lord says out of your own mouth I will now judge you. The standard that that the servant set in his excuse making was the standard by which the Lord judged him. That's the harshness of what this servant is doing and the, the response to this. And this is the second part. The Lord's response is threefold. First, you wicked and lazy servant. Imagine. Imagine. And this is, this is reminiscent of Matthew 7 as well. The, the passage where we say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all of this ministry in your name? And they, re, they hear in response, I, I, I don't know who you are. I've never known you. You worker of iniquity. Imagine. Serving all of this, all of your life, all of your, 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 your best intentions and your best thoughts, only to hear you wicked... And lazy servants. This is the harshest rebuke, the harshest condemnation that you can receive. Because it's twofold, by the way. This is just like last week. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The condemnation is the same thing. Well, the, you, you wicked and lazy servant. The wicked part, the first part to this, is, is a condemnation of the spiritual status of the servant. Wicked speaks to the spiritual state of unfaithfulness. And as we'll see next week, this is indicative of the fact that this servant was never part of the kingdom to begin with. You wicked servant. You unfaithful servant. Because every time, every single time, unfaithfulness always produces sin. It creates a mindset that's bent on disobedience. It creates a heart that's only concerned about itself and it builds a mentality of pride. Wicked is what the devil is. Wicked is the predisposition of demons. Wicked is the state of the condemned. But he also says, you lazy, some of your Bibles may say slothful. Was the last time you said slothful, by the way? Let's bring this up to moderners, that you lazy. I mean, the last time you ever said lazy, last time your kids were at home, maybe. Lazy is a more familiar term to us. Slothful is actually probably the better, more accurate depiction of what's being said because it speaks to the physical nature of it. So the spiritual condemnation was wicked. The physical condemnation is lazy, and it speaks to the physical contingency that rests upon a wicked heart. Those whose hearts are filled with evil will have bodies that are filled with unprofitableness. People whose hearts are wicked, their bodies will be lazy. And this is true every single time. The Bible talks about it over and especially in the Proverbs. there's, There's never an end to laziness. Servants, though. Servants are called to be productive. We're not called to sit around all day long and be lazy. Because you know what idle time is? We know the end of that cliche, right? It's the devil's playground. People who are bored will be busy about the work of the devil. And so it's no wonder why we have so many problems in our society today. I've read headlines, where little young people have gone out and killed other people because they were bored. They just needed something to do. So they went out and murdered somebody. Nothing else to do on a Saturday, right? Just to sit around the house. I'm, I'm bored with my video games. I'm bored with TV. I'm bored with everything. I want to really feel something. I want to go kill somebody. So they do. They kill people because they're bored. That's how bored we are in this country. That's how lazy we've become. It's it's an evidence of sin. It's an evidence of wickedness that's present in our society. But the servants of God are called to be productive. And those who are not being productive are behaving in ways that are literally the opposite of what God has asked from us. Lazy servants insult a gracious God. They insult the goodness of of God. Their behavior flies all in the face of God's goodness. Their actions and their intentions, or rather, intentions, are not representative of the kingdom. At least, not the kingdom. About Christians who are not behaving like Christians, who are not acting like they belong to the kingdom, who are certainly not serving the Lord, they're serving the God of their own bellies. And the criticism is fairer in that account. That if that's what a Christian looks like, no thanks. It's a fair criticism. Because unless we are living up to the standards and the expectations of Scripture, then how can we call ourselves servants of God? Jesus even says that if you're, if you're not ready to count the costs of discipleship, then you're not ready to be my disciple. And what is the cost of discipleship? But to lay down your cross... To pick it up each and every day and follow Jesus. To die to yourself and to live for Him. That's the cost. It's a high cost. It's a big cost. But That's indicative of the kingdom. To the Lord we serve. His second condemnation is that you knew basically what manner of Lord I am. I summarized the the teaching in there as far as you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. That's, that's, the, that's the reference. But I summarize it by saying, you knew what manner of Lord I am. Luke says, you knew, to me, you knew me to be an austere man. Collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. The point here, the point to all of it is that the Lord's expectations are high. In fact, they're so high that he exacts a return on things that he didn't even do. Hold on a second. The Lord's commission to the servants is to go and invest. And in that return, he gains that as well. We don't keep any of it for ourselves, I guess is what I'm saying. It all belongs to him. It's his kingdom, it's his yield, it's his it's his, it's his servanthood. And if that sounds unfair, then we have to understand that that's how the kingdom works. Because every field that is plowed to the glory of God belongs to Him. Every seed that is planted in the gospel ministry belongs to God. Every yield that that seed will bring goes into the Lord's storehouses. And then consequently every tool, every resource, and every profit that we will yield in the end is surrendered to God. We don't keep it for ourselves. This is the arrangement. This is the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord's expectations for us are designed to advance that kingdom. They're designed to create within us a perseverance and and, and and an advancement of the kingdom in a way that stores up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth. Thirdly, he says you ought to have at least invested my money, verse 27. So you ought to at least deposit my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received my own back with interest. At a minimum. Kingdom stewardship involves investments. Now here's here's and I've said this before and I want to say it one more time. The reality of kingdom stewardship is two part. It's 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 active and it's passive. And Jody can probably explain this a lot better than I can, because he's a banker. And he understands interests and dividends and all those kinds of things much better than I do. I actually sat down this week and, and, and read a little bit on this, and I just said, you know what, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. I'm just going to stick with what I know rather than going into the banking world. But but I do know that certain aspects of the kingdom stewardship are active. They they yield present and they, they yield present interests. That are, that are sown, things like ministry, things like evangelism, things like discipleship and missions and the preaching of the word. Those things are active. We're presently involved, we're presently engaged in the kingdom of heaven. Other parts of it are passive. And that's the point to this, 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 this teaching. Depositing my money, at a minimum, depositing the money gains interest. Right? And that interest grows over time. It's a very passive way of earning money. You're not necessarily out there and, and, and doing this money and trading this money and moving that money and all that stuff. You're putting it in one place and allowing it to grow. Parts of the kingdom work like that. And I've said before, here at First Baptist Church, sometimes we have to invest knowing that we won't reap any benefits of what we've just invested. That the next generation And the next generation will be the ones who will appreciate that yield, not us. And the question is are we still willing to sow? Are we still willing to plow? Are we still willing to invest at a minimum for the future generations of the Christian faith? For the future generations of First Baptist Church? Because that is the passive investment in the kingdom, maintaining orthodoxy, stewarding church traditions holding fast to righteousness and being the salt and light in our culture. Those are very passive ways to invest in the kingdom of heaven. As we pass on the teachings of Christ to the next generation and then they hand it on to the next generation and that's been going on for 2,000 years. Now we've kind of missed some opportunities here in the church and we've missed some opportunities to, to hold fast to righteousness or orthodoxy or whatever the case may be. But here we are nonetheless, still stewarding the kingdom of heaven. These rebukes, they come home eventually, and this is the challenge that I want to, I really want to wrap this up rather quickly because, look, I know that it is 1151 and you're probably getting hungry. Knowing that there's food across the road, your stomachs are probably growling. And, and this, is, this is the end. This is the challenge. This is the part where the rubber meets the road, where, where it at least becomes meaningful for us. What is the challenge, according to this parable, for First Baptist Church? Well, the first one is, look, y'all, we serve an austere Lord. Okay? You're, you're, my standards, my expectations as pastor here, they're, they're on par with the Lord's, but His standards are so high... And his ways are so far above mine that, that, that we're not shooting for my standards. If, if you're shooting for my standards and my expectations, then we're going to fall short of the Lord's. Okay? Because I'm fallible. I'm imperfect. The goal is to please the Lord. And the fact is, the Lord has high standards. He has high expectations for First Baptist Church. But that everything we have here, whether it's this building whether it's that old sanctuary that sits over there, whether it's the people, whether it's the programs, whether it's the pennies that are in our bank accounts, whatever the case is, it all belongs to God. And everything that we have, we should invest and accomplish the will of God for future generations. Because even the future belongs to God here. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how long First Baptist Church is going to be here. I don't. I pray that it's a long time, by the way. And I'm sure that Braden, as he sits over here to my right, is thinking the same thing. He's like, you're going to bring me aboard, and hopefully it's going to be here for a while. But we don't know that. And all we can do is be faithful with the future. Trust that because God is already there, He's going to give us what we need in the meantime to figure the rest of it out. Amen? The future belongs to God, and we can steward that to Him as well because... we, we, we're going to have to, at some capacity, be okay with the fact that our Lord is austere. Secondly, fear should never keep us from faithfulness. Now, one of the things that I've been just able to enjoy in the, pro- the process of, of meeting with personnel and meeting with uh, finance and meeting with the deacon body is to see. I get the privilege of seeing the faithfulness of, your, of you all. Of watching you all faithfully commit to God what you don't fully understand. And we can explain it, and we can have this procedure, and we can have that policy, but in the end, we have to have faith. Not blind faith. We have to have faith in knowing that whatever we do is going to please God. Because Hebrews chapter 11 says it's only faith that pleases God, love of our Lord is a more powerful motivator than is fear. It motivates us to be faithful. And if you flip that coin over, consequently, unfaithfulness displeases the Lord. So my challenge to you all is, if we're more more fearful of what others or our culture or even failure, if we're more fearful of those things than pleasing God, then we have misplaced fear, and we need to correct that. Because fearing the Lord's displeasure should motivate us to do exactly what he says. And I've said th- I said this last week. I should have probably emphasized this a little bit. I know a lot of way- in a lot of ways I'm preaching to the choir. You all have done nothing but exhibit faithfulness since I've been here. And I could not be more proud. But in the future, let's not give way to fear. Let's allow fear of God to be more powerful than fear of failure. Thirdly and lastly... We should always seek opportunities to invest the Lord's resources. If we put these first two things together, the fact that the Lord's austere and the fact that, that we shouldn't be fearful over anything, if we put those two things together, then we will find ourselves capitalizing on everything the Lord has entrusted to us. I don't know how many talents the Lord has given to us, but it's enough to keep us busy. It's enough to keep us focused. It's enough to keep us on mission. And so our seeking whether it's another staff position, whether it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, um, it's, it's a more fulfilling, more robust, more dynamic ministry, whatever the case is, our, our goal should be to seek God, seek His will, because in seeking Him, we find ourselves seeking the things that build His kingdom, that reflect His standards, and that use His resources wisely. My goal from here since I've been here Is that this church be faithful that it be found faithful not just in the community but to God that our reputation would be a church of faith because in that capacity we know we're pleasing the Lord The, the world might be mad as tarnations at us they may hate us they may throw stones at us they may do whatever they want to do but if the Lord is pleased that's all I care about and I'm grateful to be able to serve in this capacity with you all because I know you all are moving in faith as well now this is this is the, the 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 last part of the lord's intentions. He, next week we're going to look at the consequences, the summary if you will, the summary of this of this parable and the consequences of both faithfulness and unfaithfulness. So this morning let's close, let's let's close with a word of prayer and let's bring this to a to an end. And Brother Richard is going to come and uh share a song with us. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. Thank you for the, the, the correction from the word that it, that it gives to us very sharply, very poignantly this morning so that we can, uh, that we can be advised that, 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 that you are, yes, you have high standards, you have high expectations, not just for us as individuals, but as a church, as ministers, as ministries, uh, Father, as stewards of your kingdom. Father, we're grateful that, that we have a privilege of partnering with you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to use what you've given to us for your glory. And, Father, I'm prayerful that, that everything that we do, everything that we seek, everything that we strive to accomplish here, Father, that it pleases you first and foremost. Oh, Father, that, that you become the object and the means and the goal of all that we do. And, Father, that our reward, as well done, can be enough. Father, may we never be a servant who makes excuses May we never be a servant who loses opportunities. May we never be servants who hear you wicked and lazy servant. Father, bless us in the ministry here. Father, as we commit this all to you in faith, as this word is even committed to you in faith. Father, may you take it and bless it according to your will. Father, may it glorify you and advance your kingdom here on the earth. We pray this now in Christ's name and amen.
0: Thank you